Creator God, who made heaven and earth and declared it good, we praise you this morning. We declare that you are good and there is no one and nothing like you. You are God and there is no other. You spoke to the darkness and light appeared on the first day. 2,000 years ago, you sent your son, Jesus, as the light of this world. And even today, the light of your spirit still shines in our hearts. Help us this morning to experience a taste of your goodness, sweet like honey, and let it wash away the bitter taste of this present evil age. Renew our strength so that we can continue to strive after goodness, so that we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you. Help us to abide in your love and rest in your goodness. Inspire us, encourage us, comfort us, sing and dance with us. Help us to rest today and to find our joy in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been working through the fruit of the Spirit, and today we are looking at goodness. So we'll read Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. When I, began, when I began to reflect on goodness, I quickly began to think about Micah 6, 8. Every week we quote this verse to proclaim our mission. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. We can think of goodness as whatever it is that God may require of us, or that's one of the ways that we can think about goodness. Goodness is, at its core, the law of God. The requirements of God in Micah 6 eight are to do justice and to love loving kindness. In Galatians 5, Paul seems to be echoing this perspective on goodness when he announces that the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When I think about our church, I think about the Immigration Resource Center. I think about the families who foster and adopt children. I think about housing vulnerable people. I think about businesses who offer second chances. I think about our beautiful community garden, about networks of parents who create a sense of family at local schools. I think about teachers who invest in our most vulnerable children and their families. I think about people who work every day with our homeless men and women and children and who strive to do something about the structural problems that make housing so horrifically challenging. I think about people who every day mourn with those who mourn and grieve with those who grieve who sit with those in prison and work towards prison reform. I think about our vibrant young people laughing and playing with one another and loving each other in ways that go far beyond church programs. I think about thoughtful people who seek after truth, even at great personal, professional, social, and economic cost. I could go on. I mean, I really could go on. <laughs> but the point is, when I think about doing justice and loving loving kindness, I think about our church. And when I think about our church, I think about justice and loving kindness. Goodness is not an abstract concept for us. It isn't just about our own personal, private piety. It is about a way of life in which we strive to love others through justice and loving kindness the very best way that we can. Paul puts it this way, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. And I'm confident that following Jesus in this community looks a lot like faith working through love. In Romans 15, 14, Paul says, And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. So I just want to begin today by confidently affirming for whatever it's worth, concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced that you are full 
of goodness. So if you were eagerly anticipating a do better or a do more sermon on goodness, this is just gonna be disappointing. <laughs> I don't think that we need to strive more or do better. Our church has been given a gift from God, a particular vision of the good, which is Micah 6.8. This vision is profound enough and complicated enough and hard enough and beautiful enough that the best we can do as a community is to simply aim toward it with all our hearts and all our strength. And I think that that is actually what we do. So then, how does one preach to this community about goodness when the pursuit of this beautiful and generous vision of goodness is so central to who we already are? Well, I'm going to focus on the last part of Micah 6.8, the part about walking humbly with our God. Somehow, this is crucial to what walking in goodness is about. And I think it has to do with at least two things. Trusting that God is good and resting in that goodness. So let's start with reflecting on the goodness of God. And to do that, let's go back to Galatians. Paul begins his letter to the Galatians with this greeting, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul says a lot in this extremely terse statement, but one striking phrase is that we have been set free from the present evil age. Through Jesus, God, who is all-powerful and all-good, defeated evil once and for all. And this, this is how it happened. Jesus, as God, descended from heaven like a shooting star. We saw him coming down from the clouds, dressed in a cool-looking cape. He soared through the air and pulled out a flaming sword. With it, he hunted down all of the wicked until not one of them remained. Then he triumphantly set his feet on the ground and commenced his role as king. And then the whole world <laughs> fell to their knees, singing and praising the name of Jesus. And that is how Jesus conquered this evil age, right? Right? <laughs> According to Paul, we are presently living in an evil age. Evil is still present among us. I think we all know this. We know from our own experiences, we know through our own deep wounds, that this world can be wicked. We know from being on the front lines in our work every day, we know from the news, we know that we are immersed in tragedy, sickness and disease, malevolence, violence, war, forced migrations, famine, poverty, incarceration, and I could go on. We know that we live in a world that is somehow still broken. We live in an evil age and we have all been in some way or another agents and victims of this wicked moment that we find ourselves. Paul describes evil as present with us and even as somehow defining of this age. And yet, Paul declares two things at once. We live in a present evil age and we have been set free from it. What in the world could that mean? How can we be in an evil age and also set free from it at the same time? And what does what that have to do with Jesus? What kind of good and powerful superhero is our Jesus if he sets us free from an evil age that we are still immersed in? What does Paul say? Paul says that Jesus set, set us free from this evil age by giving himself up for our sins. He surrendered his life as a naked and humiliated criminal. This is Jesus, our superhero. This tortured man nailed to a nondescript, not-so-special cross is our freedom. And this is, by the way, the gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians. And so no wonder they've been flirting with a new gospel, one that gives them a little bit more confidence in their fight against evil, a kind of do-it-yourself gospel, if you will. Paul has to remind his friends, his sons and daughters in the Lord, that they have accepted his gospel, the only good news with eagerness and with power. 
Paul asked them, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Interesting that Paul does not say before whose eyes Jesus Messiah was publicly portrayed as risen. You foolish Galatians, who is deceiving you? Don't you remember that you witnessed Jesus raised from the dead with all power and glory? God's self-revelation to us looks like public crucifixion. This is God's victory over evil. I'm reminded of the heavenly scene in Revelation 5 when all the angels, the living creatures, and elders cry out in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And all the creation joins them in proclaiming, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. The ruling lamb is a lion that still looks like a lamb that was slain. It is the still slain lamb that receives power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There is no cheap triumphalism here. Paul asked the Galatians, do you not remember the slain, the lamb slain, the lamb slain right before your eyes? Jesus, God, publicly crucified? Jesus slain by evil? Jesus who became sin, who knew no sin? God in total and complete union with the human condition? God crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus tortured, humiliated, Jesus dead, Jesus dead for days, helpless and powerless, suffering complete and total. Emmanuel, God with us. God being with humanity in a way that humanity can't even really be with humanity. We all suffer and we generally, as humans, aren't that very good with suffering with each other. And here is God with us in the depths of evil, in the depths of suffering, sharing hopelessness and despair, dying in darkness. Jesus publicly crucified among us, God the criminal, tortured and dying. And because Jesus gave himself up for us, we are set free. We are set free from this present evil age. Because evil was thoroughly exposed. The light buried in the depth of night shined through and the darkness could not comprehend it. The present evil age was revealed in its wickedness as a horrific darkness, but God was also revealed as the light of the world, permeating everything. Like a small seed that will grow roots in the dark and will eventually burst through the ground into the light, the light of God has been planted in the deepest depths of the darkest night, and the sun will burst forth with healing in its wings. And how do we know this? How do we know how to interpret Jesus being publicly crucified. The Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, and that same Spirit has been given to us. Paul reminds the Galatians, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Jesus did not descend into our darkness in order to celebrate just how dark darkness is. Jesus plunged into darkness and death so that the Spirit could penetrate into the depths of the human heart and from the aching abyss of our loneliness, alienation, and hopeless suffering, God's own Spirit would cry out to God, Abba, Father. That is what we mean when we proclaim the goodness of God. We are talking about the power of God to suffer with us as us. The power of God to make us God's own children. We are no longer slaves to the evil powers of this world, making us agents of its wicked agenda, no longer victims of hate and division and violence. 
No longer slaves to striving after the good and failing. No longer slaves to striving after justice, justice injustice, triumph again and again. No longer slaves to those who conduct justice with cruelty instead of mercy. This world is still, no doubt, enslaved to a present evil. But it is also true that we are children of God. And if we are children of the Most High God, then we are no longer slaves. We are children and heirs, heirs to all the promises of God. And what does God promise? All the world will be blessed through Abraham. God is actively reconciling all the world to God's self, all of creation, every creature on earth, above the earth, even below the earth. All of heaven and earth began when God said, let there be light, and the word of God, which is Jesus, the humiliated criminal, is the light of the world. The light did shine in the darkness and is still shining, and the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. Ultimately, it is easy to share Paul's vision of evil as big enough to pretty much define the age we live in, but I think that Paul is trying to help us as followers of Jesus to see that we need an even bigger and really a much bigger vision of God. If evil is the present reality of the world, God's goodness is the deeper truth that has transformed and will transform that reality. So back to Micah 6.8. When we walk humbly with God, we walk as children of light in this dark, evil world, proclaiming the goodness of God as God publicly crucified. It is not a cheap, triumphant victory. The proclamation of God's goodness is not a cliche that we can shallowly parrot when we are face to face with suffering. Proclaiming God's goodness requires a cruciform humility that takes seriously Jesus' lament, why have you forsaken me? For those in our world or even in our congregation who are too close to suffering to affirm that God is good, we must understand that the goodness of God is always nearest to those people. God is near to the brokenhearted. The Eucharist table is God's broken body for this broken world. But, mountainside, we, to the best of our ability, must proclaim that God is good. Our efforts to do justice and to love loving kindness must be anchored in the fact that God is good. The only thing that matters is faith working through love, and working through love needs the power of faith. The present evil age is not overcome because we strive for justice and mercy. It is overcome by the love of God and the victory of God's love. It's on God. Our striving for goodness is always a cry for God empowered by the Spirit. Our striving for goodness is always a cry for God empowered by the Spirit. Our vision of Micah 6.8 is about striving for goodness, but it's more about walking in freedom. Our freedom is not about confidence that we are doing the right thing or that we have discovered the right way or that we are sure that we are fighting for the right social justice. Our freedom in the spirit is about being loved by God and sharing that love with others. We do these things, justice, mercy, and love, because the spirit of God is activated within us, yearning within us, rooted within us. The spirit quickens good fruit from the depths of our hearts as we cry, Daddy God, on behalf of ourselves and this world. We need power, the power of God, the power of our good God to walk in this goodness. We need power to not become weary. Walking humbly with God allows us to access the power that we need. Paul says, if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. We will grow weary and give up if we are sowing to anything other than the Spirit, and if we expect to reap any other harvest than the one that God cultivates. 
We participate in doing what is right like farmers who plant seeds in eager hope and expectation that the sun will shine and the rain will come and plants will burst from the ground. It is a mystery, but when we trust this mystery of God's goodness, when we sow our whole lives to it, we are fed from it. All of us, our community and those we touch, and ultimately the entire world will reap of the goodness of God. Earlier I said that I think walking humbly with God means at least two things, trusting that God is good and resting in that goodness. So let me close by reflecting on how we rest in the goodness of God. We can rest by remembering with humility that we do not have a monopoly on goodness. We as individuals out there every day striving for justice and mercy and love, and we as a church community at Mountainside are not alone. Paul urges the Galatians, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, through which the world. May it never be that we boast in anything except the cross of Christ. And we, may we never succumb to the delusion that we are the ones who are doing the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ the right way. Jesus is the light of the world. That light is present everywhere. For some of us, it might be hard to imagine that light in moss. For others of us, it might be hard to imagine that light in a megachurch where there's huge screens and smoke machines. We must always allow ourselves to be scandalized by the, by the promiscuous spirit of God who just shows up everywhere, loving everyone. When we boast of Jesus' cross, we take up our cross as best we can and we trust that that is good enough. We are following after Jesus and so are people everywhere, all over the globe. We are important, we are necessary, but so are our brothers and sisters everywhere and every place. We are striving but not alone, and not thinking that the victory is dependent upon our striving. Two, we can rest by abiding in God and remembering that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, but I think it's good for us to just settle into it. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And that our joy may be made full. When we engage in practices of rest and joy, we proclaim the goodness of God. We feel good about participating in goodness when we do justice and love mercy. And like I said earlier, I want to affirm that we are participating in God's goodness when we strive after those things and we do that really hard work. But we also proclaim God's goodness when we sit at a table with people we love. Jordan just recently reminded Diakono that those moments are Eucharist. When we go on a camping trip, like the one coming up, we have fun together and we play and we breathe clean air and we, sw we swim and we sit around campfires, we are proclaiming the goodness of God. We are abiding and resting in God's love. When we come to this place on Sundays, 
and we sing together. We declare the goodness of God. When we praise God in the midst of this present evil age, we are walking as children of light. When we teach and we preach, we are reminding each other about the goodness of God. When we are humble enough to take sabbaticals, we are abiding and resting in the goodness of God. When we go on vacation, when we play with our kids, when we tell jokes, when we act silly, when we observe Sabbath, even when we have so much to do, when we for a moment cease our striving and we just let ourselves be, we are proclaiming the goodness of God. I guess what I'm saying is that in our striving after goodness, we can't forget to play. We can't forget to rest. We can't neglect singing and dancing as an offering to our God. Yes, the world is evil, but our God is good. We will be still and we will know God. We will be quiet and allow God to carry us. We will laugh out loud with confidence in God's new creation. We will let the joy of the Lord fill our souls and be our strength. And we will do all of this as we take up our cross and follow Jesus.